0: Welcome and listeners, it's time for episode 108 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, and my guest today is going to be former USC Trojan wide receiver, Chris Call. On today's episode, we talk some of the biggest games from week one. We go through our Heisman favorites and talk the future of the sport. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partner, Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable tastes and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder. Enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their Nitro Cold Brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code SLUMP, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. CavemanCoffeeCo.com, promo code SLUMP. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and get yourself a case today. All right, y'all. It's time for the episode. Juju Talk Sports. Chris Call, episode 108. Let's get it. Let's bust the slump and let's enjoy. Welcome to Slump Busters, it's time for episode 108 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, and football's back, baby. But, you know, not quite ready for the pro game. It's a big-time weekend for college football, and that's why my guest here today is a former walk-on at one of the big blue-blood organizations, the University of Southern California Trojans, Chris Kalk. How are you doing today, man? I'm awesome. Thanks, Juju, for having me on. Really excited. Pleasure to have you, Matt. So let me ask, what does it take to be a walk-on at a university as big with as lustrous of a history as USC?
1: (laughs) This is one of the questions that, surprisingly enough, I haven't been asked that many times. But to answer it now, it's a grind, no doubt. The work that you do while you're there doesn't pale in comparison to the work that you do prior to getting there in order to get there. But just speaking for my time at S, it's a trek sometimes. Like you go after it, you get in there, like you get there in the dark and then you leave in the dark. It's one of those things where you get there at like six and then you're not leaving until like eight or nine o'clock that night. It's all sorts of fun. And I wouldn't trade my experience for the world. I don't know anybody like who, whom I've spoken with or who I've played with who would disagree with me. I will tell you what, it is It is an experience like no other for sure.
0: When USC's better, college football tends to be better. Obviously, you played there during uh, last year, and last year was one of the most tumultuous times in college football and sports in general. I'm curious, how did you feel about all that nonsense that was going on with the season game pushed back, then cut short, then delayed? How did that affect you and your teammates as all this was going on, especially to seeing uh, conferences like the SEC, Big 12, even BYU go unimpeded?
1: That was one of the things because I got plugged with this opportunity right before the season started, the opportunity I'm currently at right now. And it became a choice at that point of SC or the the opportunity and I've taken the opportunity. But prior to that, it was one of those things where it just seemed like everybody else was in control but you. And obviously not a whole lot of say from the players was really taken into until – the players took action and decided to write the governor the letter and all that kind of stuff. But I know a lot of guys, especially I think it was the Big Ten that decided to play. I think they were the ones who were first. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that was the one but in the SEC and you see all these guys playing and all that stuff. And I know a lot of my teammates at the time were very, very upset about it. And rightfully so. I mean they're going after their dreams. Like my dream was never the NFL. But if I was thinking about it in a sense of where I wanted to go, like my inevitable life goals and something impeding me in that grave in that large of a manner, of course, I'd be pissed too. So that's why they had to take action in their own hands. And it just created a sour taste in your mouth because it's almost like a regional basis to like, like decision in a sense because the SEC is all about ball. I mean, Pac-12 considers other factors before making a decision aside from just ideology, so to speak. But the thing is, you really got to take it in that grain of salt comparatively packed to SEC to Big 12. But I'm glad that it ended up working out for the Pac for sure.
0: Do you think that that perhaps is why the Pac-12 has suffered so much in recruiting? I mean, USC, obviously your alma mater here, they have like a large recruiting base out there in the LA area. A lot of great athletes to pick and choose from. Yet you hear about a guy like Bryce Young leaving Southern California to go play at the University of Alabama instead. And you know, that definitely rips the hearts out of those longtime fans out there on the West Coast.
1: Oh, yeah. And to add another kind of to that i'm not sure if you know this but bryce young was committed to sc prior to that he was committed to usc and i don't know what the dynamics were of that situation what made him change obviously probably bam with came in and swooped in and off for something better but as far as guys leaving the southern Cal, that can't happen for usc that cannot happen because they came up with this kind of a tagline take back the west they employed that last year and actually usc had a really solid year of recruiting last year see what the thing is like it's it, when you have a school like Oregon to the north and they're beating out SC, like a lot of, I mean, Oregon can be good, but they are a very hype school. The reason why a lot of people go there, their facilities and then gear too. But if USC is competing and they're like top 10, top four, I mean, obviously SC hasn't made the playoff yet, but when SC is better, nobody will go to Oregon, at least not the top five stars in the country who are deciding between USC and Oregon. If it's like a choice, I'm sure that if USC is good, they're going to go to USC, regardless of the facilities up in Eugene. And they're crazy. Don't get me wrong. I've seen a lot of them. But I'll tell you what, if USC is popping, then Oregon will not get any of the five stars comparatively.
0: College football has had a lot of off-season storylines, certainly. In my own backyard, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma decide and go to the SEC. But Ooh. on the other side of the country, you have the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC talking about this alliance. And when you first heard the term alliance with these conferences, what came to mind for you?
1: My first question was, how is it going to work? Because obviously something has to happen in order for this to work. So in order for this to like play out, there's got to be less conference games because they're certainly not going to add games to the season already. The season's already long as is. Injuries happen, especially in college football. I played two years at my three years of playing. I had two knee surgeries It just and like I wasn't even. Like a like a player, like a consistent, like ass like player and starter. But the thing is, like they're not going to add games. So what my mind went to is like, okay, conference games as they would be would mean more in the sense of like, okay, there's going to be less conference games in order to justify the new alliance. And I think it'll be cool. I think it will be cool. I mean, part of me thinks like, okay, maybe it's just ESPN or Fox trying to make more money. But I can't confirm that because I don't know for sure. But what I will say is, it will be cool to see SC playing schools from the Midwest or the ACC too. Maybe a clip like a Clemson every now and then or something like that, just to keep them relevant on a national scale and expand the reach. I think it really does work well in that regard, but I don't know if it's going to be one of those deals where they have to have smaller amount of conference games, and that'll be something to watch for sure. But alliances are seemingly like the way that they have been really popular recently, especially with the inevitable like implosion of the Super League in Europe. Did you hear about that?
0: Uh, kind of. I'm not a huge soccer guy, so I don't like know the little details about it. Uh, oh, I know it made a lot of people upset, and that's definitely yeah, yeah. one of the big things that stuck out about the whole thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. And to make a long story short, the guy, president of Juventus, he uh, wanted to make the Super League of all the best clubs in the world. Like, he got them all on, and then the fans just started flipping a shit and rightfully so you know because the manager of Manchester City said if there's no like fear of relegation then there's then then there's no anything to like really compete for except for like championships but the thing is like in that regard the fans went apeshit and within like 48 hours, almost every team dropped out of the Super League. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how it works and how crazy how this, like they listen to the fans this time. It's awesome.
0: One of the things about this alliance, though, it has been pretty vague as far as the details go. Right now, we just have this mm-hmm. big term alliance thrown out there. Uh, yeah. The only thing that really comes to mind when they're talking about it is like you mentioned it a little bit there, the scheduling opportunities, the opportunities yeah. for these three conferences to really mix and match their top teams together. I mean, certainly Ohio State matching up more with a uh, USC or Clemson coming to UCLA, Oregon going across the face, uh, Miami, stuff like that are as opportunities I think college football would really enjoy because I think what college football fans really appreciate more than anything is these unusual pairings, these oddball matchups, these schools you don't really see go against each other much. Uh, So I do think that that is a great opportunity from this thing. Another big thing for them, like you mentioned, the money element as well. Of course, uh, they're trying to gear towards more television contracts as college football moves more towards um, obviously paying the players that's a, a big thing that's being talked about coming up and if they have the opportunity to capitalize on a bigger television contract that could put more money in the university's pockets which down the line could eventually translate down to players pockets as well sure. one thing too that kind of like stood out about this alliance too uh, no poaching of other teams from the other conferences so in the pact while i'm not going out there and trying and steal someone from the big 10 etc uh, i think that that's kind of one of the things like i won't steal your guys if you don't steal mine. But meanwhile, you just have the Big 12 just kind of like standing out there just like, I feel like that Will Smith meme, you know, where he's looking at that empty living room. That's kind
1: of what the Big 12
0: is looking like these days right now.
1: (laughs) That's funny. No, and that's something, the poaching aspect is something I hadn't considered. Because, you know, especially right now, the transfer portal is so, so, so active. And it's like the genie's already out of the bottle with this thing. If somebody's not starting within their freshman year. Or within, shit, I've seen stuff at USC where people have gone on, had a good fall camp, been second team, and then entered the transfer portal and gone to another school because they weren't starting. Because their uncle or their friend or their dad or something like that gave them some advice like, hey, you need to go somewhere else. And they're 18, 17, 18 years old, you know, on campus and they don't know any better. So it's opened up Pandora's box. I remember when Coach Helton actually talked about it and they don't really know what to do with it. Like there's no real deterrent. I mean, aside from like the year off that you have to take, Even then that's
0: gone away too. Like you have players that that, literally like transfer and boom, playing right away. I think Justin Fields was one of those cases.
1: I think you got to get a waiver or something. something. Yeah. Basically you have to do, do, it's like a whole lawsuit type thing
0: you have to go through. You have to go through through the courts, but get that waiver, like you mentioned, but most of the time it's been about a positive clearance rate. I haven't heard too many cases of someone being denied at this point.
1: That's right. I remember seeing that. It was like a very high accept or approval rating. Yeah. Like you look Justin Fields
0: out there right away. Joe burrow out there right away. Um, the kid from uh, Miami, uh, Tate. Oh, Jay Martell. Yeah,
1: Tate Martell, Tate Martell yeah.
0: yeah. yeah, He was able to get out there right away. As, so at this point, it's basically uh, if you don't like your situation, yeah, you could go out there and play for another team. I, I think there's only like one instance in which a guy's really had to sit out. I, I can't even remember. I want to say it's the Clem, former Clemson quarterback that was there before Trevor Lawrence got in. Even then, it went uh, by the I'll, weight side. Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing that kind of makes me nervous, though, is I, I've been a huge fan of the playoff expansion ideas. They're talking about kicking it up to 12 teams. And <laughs> right now Now, at this point with, again, the Texas, Oklahoma move to the SEC and this alliance talk, it's kind of put a wet blanket over the idea of expanding the playoffs. From my understanding, a lot of like board of governors and people have talked and said that they think that the idea is going to be put on hold. And that kind of bums me out. What's your thoughts on college football playoff expansion? Because you talk about stuff like the transfer portal. I think part of the thing is players want to move around because they're not getting the opportunity to play or play specifically on national television with playoffs Mm -hmm. it opens up the window a little bit more it opens up the opportunity to be featured on national television games in my mind
1: for sure no, and that's a really interesting point. But um, Another aspect in association with those other two you just listed is the one that you want to win. A lot of players see their situation, and they may be a stud at what school they're at, but they're not winning. But regards to the college playoff, playoff, like, I think that, I don't know if 12 teams, but I think definitely eight. I think eight could be a real logical kind of like meeting place for those who want 12, those who want four, you meet in the middle of eight. And I think that eight wouldn't be a bad idea because it almost creates more drama for starters, but at the same time, you really see who's the top dog in college football. Like, and it gives that whoever would be ranked eighth to eighth seed to get and go show their chops against the first seed. And if they really can beat them, then at that point, then they're for real, you know, because you're going off against the top dog. I know it's the same thing with four, but the seeding in the college football playoffs also really interesting too, because it can go like back and forth and it is kind of dynamic, but one versus eight, that's a, that's a big disparity comparatively, like one versus one versus four. Like it's going to be Ohio state versus Clemson or something like that. I remember coastal was like eight or something like that, or like an Oregon or something like that, you know, like Mm -hmm team that got in there because they're hype and they're really good but that's a difference between the first four so it should at least try it out see what happens if it doesn't then you go back to four you know the only
0: argument I've heard against it really is We're already seeing so many blowouts between one versus four, two versus three. And I don't think that that should be the biggest deterrent because I think the thing about football is seeing these guys actually play on the field. The whole any given Sunday speech comes to mind. Mm. Anything can happen. And I think just taking away the opportunity for that eight seed to potentially show what they got on the field. One of the most frustrating things I think back to when we were going through the BCS system was we would have these mid-major teams like a Boise State go out there, go undefeated, and then not get given a true opportunity opportunity to compete for the national title and that's why it's also led into discussions of well should there be a mid-major conference and should there be a a power five national championship so two different national championships and what is this like a mid-tier state championship no you know you don't want these three a four a five a for like college football if we're all competing for the national championship then let's set a set bracket like we do for college basketball and have these guys go at it. And it's a blowout, it's a blowout, but at least these guys have the opportunity to actually fight for the crown.
1: That's the thing. Like, where where you kind of get into, like, dangerous territory is if you start including these, I don't want to say mid-majors, but, like, outside of Power 5 teams because you really got to consider strength of schedule. I don't want to say there's a huge dissonance between it, but there is. Power 5, like, even within the SEC, like, the guys who are going to Bama are much, much better. They're five deep much better than the guys who are at Vanderbilt or like that stuff you really got to consider. And I'm all for that idea, but like the Boise States or whatever, like Mountain West, it's a tough one, but like if, I mean, shit, if they can justify an eighth spot, and getting into the eighth spot, then shit, let them play. But it could be an uphill battle for that. Remember, I remember Coastal was eight last year. I don't remember how they did, or they were number nine. They won they, their they, bowl game,
0: if I'm not mistaken. They won
1: their bowl game, yeah. But the BYU lost to Coastal, I think. At the BYU end of the year. BYU lost to
0: Coastal, but it was also that weird scheduling game. Speaking of yeah, tough yeah. COVID dynamics, the fact that they basically announced that game on a Tuesday and played it like that Thursday or Friday. It was similar to what happened with that uh, Bishop Sankey or whatever school that we had this past week. Bishop Sycamore. Yeah. There we go.
1: Yeah. Bishop Sycamore. That's an interesting one. I don't I know how like ESPN let off.
0: that fly. I, that is all on ESPN in my mind, personally.
1: I, I, I agree with that. But here's the thing. I All these be- – Kids who went to Bishop Sycamore. I saw it on, on YouTube or TikTok or something last night. I think it was like these guys are trying to come from the sanctimonious position. It's like, oh, we never got a senior year. So we had to do something big in order to do it. I'm just like, dude, go to Juco. You don't try and play high school people. Like, that's embarrassing. Like, that's embarrassing. You got slammed too. It was like, like
0: mid 20s guys. It wasn't just like fresh out of high school. There were some guys that are like 24, 25 no. year olds apparently playing in that game. So it it just, was it's just gross. It's one of those things I heard them talk about on Dan Patrick. It feels a illegal but it also might not be illegal yeah I, I think the biggest thing is when I'm hearing about them bouncing checks to hotels and stuff that they're staying at how did no one catch on to this sooner like how are they able to go all across the country doing this especially because my background <laughs> was in the hotel industry to begin with so I'm like thinking did no one yeah. really check this prior <laughs> check these guys credentials I mean how the coach apparently has a rest warrant he out for him he did I remember
1: seeing that for sure and I, I don't know I mean part of it's like <laughs> It, it's so blatant, but it's almost hiding in plain sight. It's almost like there's a there's a story. I don't remember what it's called, but it's like you sneak in in broad daylight. That's the basic, the, like the essence of what the story is. You know, sneaking across the ocean in broad daylight. I think that's from like the Japanese 33 laws of war. It's like you're almost so like entrenched oh d1 prospects and this is like oh they're a small school or whatever they're bouncing checks whatever yeah we'll work with them you know you almost don't want to believe it's fake and that's the interest of why so many con men get so many people i've dealt with a lot of con men in my day like i've seen a lot of them my dad's first movie was was actually titled con man so i've like kind of learned about it and they get so like likable that they don't take your money you give it to them because they're so likable and you don't want to like look at all the red flags and all that kind of stuff so i'm not surprised that it didn't get seen so quickly because people are trying to make like they're trying to make it like a little bit more real that it could it's just it's just a fluke it's just whatever you know
0: yeah i i think it's just man you have so many checks and balances and the fact that it went through it I mean, ESPN is a multi-billion dollar company, and they're trying to pass off the blame on this third-party scheduling company. You had announcers, you had revs, you had other school itself. Apparently, Bishop Sycamore played this uh, Florida-based team before last season. So they've played like multiple seasons. But the fact that no one from the Ohio area outed them either, and the fact that their website looks worse than my website, my website, (laughs) you know, that I put together on Weebly, you know, on a short budget, you would think if they're going to. Go through all the length to con people out. They would at least hire the same people that created the website for you know the South Harmon Institute of Technology or whatever from the movie Accepted, because <laughs> that's exactly what this whole situation yeah. turned into.
1: <laughs> no, nah, it was a, it was a complete shit show. It, it's and embarrassing. It's been so viral, so viral right now too. It's like all funny like trends like oh yeah i go to bishop sycamore <laughs> it's, like, it's hilarious it's hilarious how it's working out Just put that yeah, on it, your resume you know, put it, that on your linkedin who's gonna call you out right <laughs> yeah no it's it's escn has they've got no room to say anything but it, it, it is funny how it all transpired
0: oh for sure for sure well you know hey we're going off on a tangent here let's let's bring it back let's bring it back to your alma mater here usc um last season despite all this nonsense we talked about with the pack 12 and rescheduling and everything they still had a pretty good year. You know, obviously starting off 5-0, their only loss in the Pac-12 title game to Oregon. Uh, got some big wins there. And this year, one of the biggest talking points is around their quarterback uh, Cannon Slovis. So obviously as a wide receiver, did you have the opportunity to I don't know, play
1: catch with the QB. Oh, yeah. Keaton always throwing balls. Keaton was a four. He was, I think he was like second, third string. He was a freshman my last year. Yeah, he was a freshman my last year at SC. I had an opportunity to catch a lot of Keaton's passes. Keaton throws a really nice ball. He throws a really good ball. I have nothing but like good, complimentary things to say about him because he does throw a solid ball. I think he fits really well in that offense because that offense is very high percentage. You're going to have the Y or something sitting over the ball five, six yards over, so you're going to have very high completion percentage, too. Keaton is... of those guys who is very very highly touted in terms of like mock drafts right now shit i've seen him like go one one on some of them he is currently
0: plus 800 to go as the number one overall pick in next year's nfl draft so according to vegas so he's up there he's definitely getting talked about Uh, other people that are up there right now of course spencer rattler sam Howell, uh keaton also has the outside chance at the heisman as well too and certainly in a lot of circles Uh, but yeah you mentioned it, it is a great offense obviously three years graham harrell How is it being under the former Texas Tech quarterback? Because you mentioned that is a high percentage, high volume offense. I imagine it's a lot of fun as a wide receiver.
1: Graham is a dynamite. He's like a firecracker. He's hilarious. I love Graham. He was funny as hell. And he had all of his guys, Coach Daigie and JDB who were there. And it was a fun, fun, fun time to be a Trojan. I'll say that. Practices were all sorts of fun. But um, that offense is really, really simple to learn, which was awesome. You know, because my first year at SC, it was uh, T. Martin's offense. And they called it gumbo offense. I'll be honest with you. You're like you put a gun to my head right now i couldn't draw you a con- like a route concept like it, was, like that the, that offense was so difficult to learn and um when graham came in with his offense like it just became it was like you, you picked it up very quickly and the whole point of that was that way you could play fast and you don't have to think about stuff you're getting out there it's like okay they call the play like in a couple different like signals and then once the signals are called you, you just get it you pick it up and then that's it and you run your route and you have a bunch of variants off of that, depending on what the defense gives you. But it's a very, very simple and fun offense to be in. And I loved it. It was all sorts of fun. If my kids are playing flag football or whatever, that I'll probably be running an air raid.
0: You were there right around, too, when Cliff Kingsbury dipped. Uh, How was that from, Mm -hmm. like, a standpoint of being a player? Like, obviously, I mean, you understand it. The guy has an opportunity to be an NFL head coach, so you can't really say no. But at the same time, it's like, you look at, like, uh, Phillip Rivers, for example. He doesn't want to leave Alabama head coaching because he made a commitment to the kids. How does that feel from, like, a player standpoint?
1: (laughs) You know, Coach Kingsbury was really cool. Right after he got brought on, I was just in there after working out in the locker room, just took a shower, and just sitting in there, he just walked. Finn, and it was just myself and my friend Josh who plays for the Jaguars now and he just came up and then we we're just kind of talking there he comes up to us and I'm like I was like going coach and he goes what are your guys' names and we introduced ourselves we've had a conversation for a little bit so he's a really awesome guy and I understand the aspect of like why some people would be kind of mad at him for leaving and you have that like meme from the Simpsons of like the guy walking in putting his hat on the thing doing a circle then walking out and people calling it Cliff Very like it's really funny but um, no I completely understand like you're a head coach of the NFL like if that's your inevitable goal and if you get to usc and then you get the opportunity to go there i understand the aspects of like commitment to your program but if that's your dream that's your goal and i i have no hard feelings about that kind of thing he's a really cool guy though i really like coach Ferry, and his offense is very similar because it's like the same kind of discipleship from michael leach and the, the air raid but it was really cool he's really awesome and it was um it's awesome to see how he's like accomplishing his dream in the nfl now
0: What should SC fans' expectations be for this team in the Pac-12? Can they win the conference? And certainly can they be an outside dark horse playoff contender?
1: I think for sure they should be winning the conference like USC should be winning the conference every year when it comes to that kind of stuff whenever someone asks should USC be winning the Pac-12 the answer is always yes and yes with gusto so the only competitor that SC really has is Oregon and that's in the North so it should be USC and Oregon almost every year and then obviously when you have Washington get hot you play Washington in the Pac-12 North but I mean (laughs) ASU is popping in in the South low key right now but I think they're kind of hyped too I think they've got a lot of really solid four stars over the last couple years which I I don't know if that will continue in tempe but it depends on how they play but when usc is good no one's going anywhere else in, in the west then that's, that's just a fact that's just the way it has always been but to make a run i think i think it's possible for sure i think it's definitely possible when usc gets rolling because we've never really seen like if i'm being completely honest we haven't really seen the capabilities of that air raid yet you know they still got to figure out a way to beat the drop eight when they only rush three and then drop eight in coverage They still got to figure out a way to beat that I'm sure Graham's been working on it and he's already worked on it like a situation because that has been their Achilles heel when we lost to BYU my last year at SC. And then when, who did it? Uh, I think Oregon dropped eight in their um, thing in their game, the Pac-12 championship. And you'll see the comparative comparison when we played Utah my last year too. They went one-on-one man. They just went and bumped around the whole game. We just beat them. And Utah was number nine in the country at that point. So that, I think that USC, once they can do that, I, I think there's very possible that they could make a run. I think it's very possible. I'm not just saying that because Trojan football I'm not. I think you Air know, Raid but, um, gives
0: any team a fighter's chance, a puncher's chance in most games. For sure. Um, but I, I do think that we've seen over time, it does certainly have its limitations. Can they can sure. really compete with the big boys because we see it with Oklahoma all the time they make it to the college football playoffs they have this very like uh, vertical offense and Mm -hmm. it just they go against Alabama and they just get stomped
1: so I think that if you're actually asking me, when the defense knows what's coming, it's coming in sense of runner pass. And if you're like a two-thirds to one-third or three-fourths to one-fourth going to pass all the time, like I understand like you're the air rate, so you're going to be throwing the ball more. Incorporate a run in there a little bit more. I think that that's definitely going to be something that would help them, especially with the backs they've got. I know they got a really filthy transfer from Texas. And then obviously Vi is good. I know, but they lost, lost Marquise to I think Wisconsin and Nebraska, one of the two. I don't remember. Big school with red and white. <laughs> I don't remember which one it was. But, um, no, yeah, I mean, SC is low, RBU. I mean, Reggie's there. And if you ask me, the ball needs to be run a little bit more. I don't know if the offensive line is going to be their limiting factor or not. I've seen things that say that it, it will be. But I think that if you kind of work it in a way that Oklahoma does and maybe incorporate a little bit more of a run, I think it's a very, very good idea because we've seen it a million times when SC's played other schools and had very little success in passing is when they drop eight especially and especially when we played BYU like I just mentioned they had a big nose tackle about 400 pounds who were just given the offensive line the business all day and he was in the backfield all the time and you're dropping eight and you have pressure you're SOL nine times out of ten it's a really difficult situation for any program especially USC no matter who you're playing
0: Now, I know it's tough to certainly put a former coach on the hot seat, but do you think that if worse comes to worse and USC doesn't finish at the top of the Pac-12, this could be a make or break year for Clay Helton?
1: It's funny you say this because no matter where I am, wherever I'm at a restaurant, wherever I'm at an airport, people ask me, what's your take on Helton? And my take is always I have nothing but good things to say about Helton because he gave me the opportunity to make my dream come true for sure. Do I think that it's important that he wins this year? 1000% and that's not just because I think he's like can be on the hot seat like quote unquote it's just because USC has Rose Bowl or bust or Rose Bowl and above mentality each year and if you're not getting there then the donors and the what's the, the natives become restless is the term you know it's like a euphemism but it's one of those deals where you SC wins like you need to win 28 Rose Bowls guys in the NFL you t- one of the top four college football programs of all time it's just one of those deals where you really got to You got to win. And I think last year, had they not opted out of a bowl game, would have been a really good bowl game. My first year was that year we went five and seven. So it was a rough year. And that was a really, really, I'll tell you what, I've never been booed like that before. (laughs) Coming off the field to Coliseum, getting booed by 60,000 people is crazy. That's interesting because
0: LA is known for being a kind of laissez faire fans, you know, not really the booing culture, just the don't show up culture when a team's really bad. Oh, my gosh.
1: I'll tell you what that happened at UCLA. But when we played Notre Dame for our last game, there's this one guy who sits behind the bench every game. The fact is, anyone who's like, "Oh yeah, you can't hear them," it's like you can hear him just freaking fine. And he's like yelling, "Like you guys suck!" It's like, damn, like I've never had this before. Like I'm on this team. Like I'm, am I not talented? <laughs> it's, it, it's just it's funny because when you don't hear it off the bat. When you never heard it before, then you hear it. it's like, whoa. But no, back to Helton. I think it's important that USC wins every year. And I don't think Helton is on the hot seat just because of not winning. Maybe it's a little bit of that. But he went 5-1 and one last year and went to the Pac-12 championship. I think it's just a matter of every year. And it's just the sentiment has become come um, oh fire Helton fire Helton and I think that this year SCs have a really solid year and if they get to the Rose Bowl and win the Rose Bowl there's not a lot of shit to say because until like next year is gonna be a really interesting year too because I think they've got a very young team and then they have really high like aspirations for that second string QB when Kaden Ke- uh, Lee and Jackson Dart he's kind of the next guy for sure but I think that it's helping on the hot seat for sure do I think they'll have a good year yes but USC needs to have a good year every year
0: Okay, so you're taking them minus 14 against San Jose State. I take it. Okay, (laughs) Uh,
1: they better they better put up more. I'll say that. What's what's the what's the uh, over under? I think it's. I I remember seeing. I think it was like 69 or something or 65. One of the two. Nice. (laughs)
0: Um, the over under currently for this game is 60, right on the dot.
1: 60. That's the thing, too. Like when the air raid can work, USC can put up 60 by itself. So, but it just becomes that thing of like, will it? And you know, when how how does that team adapt and stuff like that? So, it, USC could put up 60, especially when with the weapons they've got and without Brew being there, too. Yeah, I, I would definitely take 14 for sure against one of those. USC always starts off with one of those opponents, too. I, I, I always, except for that year against Bama, too, but they had Western Michigan that one year, they had Western Kentucky that other year. USC always starts out with like an opponent like that. I don't know why they always do, but. I think it's just the nature of the game. Like last night's game was a Ohio state versus Minnesota. So it was kind of, it was more
0: reasonable. Ton of big 10 implications there. I think next week they go back and face one of those tune up type squads as well. Yeah. Actually, no, no, hold up. Ohio state faces Oregon next week. Ooh, that should be a fun one. We talked about those unusual pairings, those fun matchups in college football. Not to look ahead, but I assume Oregon's going to win their first game. How do you like that one? Because that's going to be a matchup of two top 10 opponents.
1: Ohio state versus Oregon. Yep, C.J. Stroud put up
0: four touchdowns against Minnesota. Their wide receiving core is stacked, but um, there was definitely some mistakes early on, and their defense hasn't really improved much since last year.
1: Part of me wants us to, yeah, I don't know if this is just like taking an L with the pack right now, but we see sometimes when these pack schools go up and play these juggernauts like Ohio State, it goes not favorably for them, because that's just history in the last like year. So, but that's also the conversation why so many people like doubt the pack right now. If, if I'm being completely honest, I really don't like Oregon, but I, I would take Ohio State in that one for sure. I think that after having a game much like that one, you saw them hit their stride in the back half of that game too. I didn't watch the whole end of the game because I was on another show I was talking But what I will say for sure is that I think Ohio State will come back and they'll come back hot. And I don't think they're going to let Oregon beat them and especially in such high implications right now. You know, I mean, every game counts for sure, especially in college football.
0: You know, Oregon does have that really highly touted defensive end Thibodeau that I think can cause some big time problems for C.J. Stroud. And if they're able to put some pressure on him in the offense and Ohio State isn't able to put up their traditional 30, 40 points, that defense Mm -hmm. is so weak, so soft that I think that Oregon has a fighting chance to be able to win that game.
1: Of course. No, that's for sure. I mean, that guy is a beast. I think I know he's a first rounder for sure. Thibodeau is really good. Oh, he's being talked about as
0: the a non first round quarterback to potentially be that number one overall pick. Yeah, he's filthy. He's filthy. From moving from the current USC situation to a former USC head coach, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, currently the head coach out there for my University of Texas, Longhorns. They have a big-time game, top 25 matchup, 21 versus 23 against the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. Currently, they're a nine-and-a-half point favorite. They finally came to a decision on their starting quarterback, Hudson Card, which surprised a lot of people. But general consensus is that Card does a better job of holding on to the football than uh, incumbent star. Casey Thompson what do you think about this matchup do you think this could be another letdown season for Texas or do you think that they finally play up to their uh, level of expectations
1: you know I remember when Sark was the SC head coach and the thing with Sark is that while he was in that time of struggle for him like within his own demons in his own head he was always always failing forward <laughs> you know he would go from SC head coach getting fired next thing you know being OC at Bama then being the OC for the uh, Falcons I'll tell you what he his offense is nasty against uh, damn near every level. However, as a head coach at Washington, they called him seven win Sark. And obviously, it was a very disappointing head coach at USC, too. But it'll be a real test because I don't know how it'll work out. I do w- want the best for the guy. And I think that at Texas, it could work because I think that's a really awesome. They've got some potential. As bad as it is to say, because I will never, ever forget that game, it's USC versus Texas, at national championship game. But I will say this. Like, Texas is a really awesome program. Like, they're really cool. Like, the burnt orange and white, I think they're second to Cardinal and gold, in my opinion. But I, I really do think that Texas does have some really awesome intangibles And I think that I want the best for Stark. So I'm going to give them my vote of confidence in saying that it won't be disappointing. I don't know if they're going to be a top four contender. I would say they end up within the top, let's say top 14, top 15.
0: I think Sark's best attribute is certainly as a recruiter. So, hopefully, over the next couple of years, we start to see that more Mm -hmm. high end talent return to Texas. I think the Mm -hmm. big mission for him, similar to USC, is retaining talent within your own geographic area. I mean, Texas is a big state with a lot of great football players. But if you keep losing all that talent to Alabama or down the road to College Station or up the road to Oklahoma, then that's one of the biggest problems that UT has had to face over the recent years. As for far sure. as this game here, it's not going to be an easy matchup. The raging Cajuns have been one of the uh, very upstart team in recent years. I think the key for Longhorns is to keep the ball on the ground, really use B. John Robinson to his like fullest capabilities. Um, not really have to rely too much on Hudson card as a starter making his first big time game, you know, in like I said, sure. a prime time home game, but make it as easy as possible. The nine and a half point line I, I'm picking to, Texas win this game hopefully they don't let me down Own one start would be a
1: crippling that would be that'd be disastrous for them for sure and there were some guys who were on my team who were Sark's recruits and that's actually Sark recruited a lot of guys and there's a like you said he's a freaking dynamic recruiter and he brings in talent so i think texas could be very good in the coming years as long as they keep winning
0: like you said if it wasn't for his personal demons kind of like hitting him and he could have stayed at usc for a couple more years who knows how we could have seen some of those recruits develop over time right now I'm just crossing my fingers, Arch Manning to UT. Let's call it, let's make that thing happen. Let's talk about Stark's former location too. Alabama has a top 25 matchup as they face Miami. We talked about schools and universities that when they're better, college football's better. Certainly the U uh, being in the mix of things is good for college football. They do have some positives going in their favor. Obviously Derek King um, back this season, you know, he redshirted in 2019. 2020 was an opportunity for him to get back out there. He had a little bit of a knee injury the year before. He is one of those uh, dark horse Heisman contenders but he's going against the juggernaut that is Alabama football. I mean, let's face it, even in losing Matt Jones, even in losing Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris, we still look at this Alabama roster and are like, oh yeah, they're number one. Nick Saban, they're number one. Yeah. They are 19 point favorites in a neutral site game. Tell me that that just isn't dominance at its finest. The one thing I will say, they have a new offensive coordinator in town, Bill O'Brien, the former Houston Texans coach. Do you think Alabama covers, I guess is the big thing because I don't think anyone's really picking upset right now for Miami
1: you know is one of those schools where they don't rebuild they reload each year in their five deep I remember talking to some guys who on the team who played Bama when SC played Bama, and they were three deep, just as good as the first guy. So one of those. Uh, it's never an issue about replacing talent at Alabama, and so I will say that I think that they definitely will cover. I do too. I think it's one of those things where I'm moving to Miami next month. I don't want to like give myself ill will down there, but I, I don't think this game will end up being close. Because I don't know how big of a Miami face- audience we have, so I think you're good. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just don't want to be on the record. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, no, I, I don't think it'll be close. Once Alabama starts hitting their, once they hit their stride in the game, it's very, very difficult to stop them. And once they keep going, it's just all damn game. It's like, and they don't stop. And that machine does not stop. It's very difficult to stop them because in particular, obviously their run game, Alabama is just talented across the board, but they have receivers that take the top off of any defense. They have a particular receiver that goes there, you know, but they fly and they have really, really good routes. It's really good routes, so I I think that they can take the top off of any defense, and I think that they definitely cover against Miami. I really do.
0: Here's the thing people are saying about this Alabama team: it's a little bit more of a throwback squad for Nick Saban. Their defense is what's really the selling point of this year's model, and. Right now, Miami's dealing with a little bit more of a banged up offensive line, which De'Ara King is the key to Miami's chances at all in this game. So if they're not able to even get off the line cleanly, I think that this Mm -hmm. is going to be a big time problem. And yes, unfortunately... Alabama is going to cover but these things do go in cycles so I am hoping for the return of the U I still think one of my favorite 30 for 30s is that documentary just showing just how ridiculous those University of Miami squads were Ray Lewis, Antoine oh, Randall, yeah. William Spaghetti,
1: uh-huh. <laughs> you know Frank Gore uh. Just good times. No, good no times like of the U. The U. Is one of those other two, like hype schools that like it can be really good. Miami's not like it's like Southern Cal. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where like it, the city almost sells itself to a certain degree. You know, <laughs> they've got uphill battle obviously when it comes to recruiting in the South, though, so, and especially in Florida too, because a lot of those Florida guys they will go to University of Florida. If Florida's good, or they will go in LSU or something like that too. So they've got an uphill battle for sure. But when the U. Is good, it's tough to beat them.
0: I say the best matchup for last year in terms of our picks here. Number five, Georgia, is going to be playing number three, Clemson. This game right now is sitting at a three-point favorite line for Clemson. Neutral site game. I'm going to give you a challenge here right out the gate. How do you say the Clemson starting quarterback's last name?
1: I think it's Uyala Lele.
0: You know, not bad. I, I think right now I'm struggling with it. I, I think I have it is you, uh, Odele, you know, or ole throw yeah. a little bit of Hispanic flair into it because <laughs> if worse comes to worse, we just defer to the throwing Samoa in there. One of his <laughs> nicknames there, but yeah. you know, going against JT Daniels, these guys are a couple of Heisman favorite candidates right here as well. JT Daniels was pretty hot down the stretch, uh, played final four games through 10 touchdowns. This is a tough year for Clemson. They've had a lot of rotation within their offensive line losing Trevor Lawrence, ETN's gone, yet they're still favored in this matchup. Which way are you leaning? I'm
1: leaning Georgia myself. First of all, I want to say JT is one of my guys. I love JT. JT and I, when he was at SC, his locker was right here and mine was right here. So we were JT and I were close. I love JT. And I'm so happy that he hit his stride at Georgia. I really, really am. Because I'll tell you what, if he didn't go down that year, I think it would have been a scary, scary year for JT. He would have had a freaking disgusting year in that area because that first drive was clinical. But anyways, I've doing some research on this game too. And I think that some limiting factors for Georgia, I know that they have some injury at receiver. As far as both of those teams go, I think the weaknesses will definitely kind of like they balance out in a sense. I'm taking Georgia too, because obviously like, I think JT's got such a high upside too, and you've seen it like last year. I, I mean, DJ is definitely one of those kids who is really good, and he will be really good. I think it's a tough task right off the bat to come. I think it's a neutral side game too, no?
0: Yeah, neutral side game. So no one has a particular advantage in that regard.
1: Depending on where it is, I don't know where it is, but I don't think it matters. I mean, Georgia and Clemson both travel. So I think I, I want to give the edge to Georgia just because of the sake I, I, I'm confident in JT. That's why I'm going to give Georgia the edge in that game. I could be wrong, but I'd rather take the shot and give JT the vote of confidence than, than not, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I'm going to take Georgia in that game.
0: I think with both quarterbacks being about equal, what it comes down to is you, you don't like to hear a team's rotating centers or has a true freshman yeah. guard against a team that has a bunch of NFL dudes along their front seven. I think that just spells disaster yeah. there. Uh, the big it question does. regarding this though, is if Clemson loses or if Georgia loses, does that fully eliminate them from the college football playoffs? Unfortunately, if Clemson does, I think this might be it. I, even if they go undefeated in the ACC, I think that might be a differentiating factor for them.
1: For Clemson, yes. and. We have seen time and time again of guys or teams with one loss get into the playoff over undefeated teams, you know. But it comes down to a difference of conference, and one of the factors that the committee looks at is strength of schedule for sure. If you're in Georgia and you're in a conference with Bama, LSU when they're good, and you lose those kind of games, like – That's one where they're going to give you a little bit more forgiveness. But if you're in a conference like Clemson, you're in a conference with Boston College, they're not going to give you the edge in that one for sure. No, yeah, that's the thing. If Clemson loses, it might be. But if I'm going to compare both those teams with one loss, all things being equal, all intangibles equal to Georgia would get the edge into the playoff over Clemson in that particular situation. And I'm pretty damn sure about that. Well, I think that does it
0: for like all the marquee games really for the weekend here. But a couple things as we kind of verge on the really first week one of the season. I know we had college football games last week, but I think a lot of people really look at this week and consider it the opening week. And that's also saying that I'm throwing my alma mater under the bus as an NMSU Aggie. I'm like, NMSU versus UTEP? Eh, it doesn't really feel like week one. Give me Clemson versus yeah. Georgia. That, that feels like more like week one to That's me. That's funny, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. let's make some predictions here. So the Heisman odds right now. Spencer Rattler right now is sitting at plus 650. So he is the high end number one because the next one down, Bryce Young at 1100. And then DJ Ui Angolele wow. at plus 1100 is tied with him. You have JT Daniels right now at plus 1,000, so ahead of both of them. Sam Howell, North Carolina, also being talked about as a potential number one overall pick. CJ Stroud, Derek King, like I mentioned, Keaton Slovis, he's up there as well. And then B. John Robinson is the first non-quarterback listed down the Vegas odds. Last year was the first time since 1991 that we had a wide receiver win it. No one is listed up here. Uh, Derrick Henry was the last non-quarterback to win it back in 2015. Prior to that, it was nine of the last 10 were quarterbacks. So fully mm-hmm. expect this to be a quarterback award again
1: yeah no I would agree with you and I was thinking about this feeling that you were going to ask me this question and part of me wants to say Sam Howe but I can't say that for sure I haven't really watched Oklahoma that closely so I haven't really watched Spencer Rattler I really haven't and um I think Bryce Young is a very hot pick comparatively because I think he's got a lot of expectations to shit like if JT has a good year I think it'd be a very difficult thing especially if they're in the contention the college football playoff I think it'd be a very difficult person to not pick if he's the one you're heading George's charge into the college football playoff. I think it would be a very difficult person not to pick. So part of me beca- thinking because George, I think will have a good year. Part of me because JT is a friend of mine. I say shit, I'm going to say it on the record. I'm, I, I want JT to win it. I want JT okay. to the I
0: think I have to lean towards where the Vegas bettors are thinking here with Spencer Rattler. Mostly because of mm-hmm. that lineage at quarterback that Oklahoma seems to produce. You look at what Lincoln Riley was able to do with Baker, making him a Heisman winner. Kyler mm-hmm. Murray, making him a Heisman winner. Jalen Hurts was up there in contention and then last year was uh, Spencer's first uh, true year starting. So I, I think what Vegas oddsmakers really thinking is like second year Lincoln Riley offense. We've seen Lincoln Riley produce Heisman winners before. And I think this might sure. be Oklahoma's best opportunity truly to compete for the national title. I know that we've seen them go out there and get mm-hmm. smoked by a lot of these big name schools, but I think they have an advantage they haven't had uh, relatively in the last couple of times they've been in the playoffs, that continuity. Sure that ability to be the same team. Whereas you look at, again, a lot of the top dogs. I mentioned all the key pieces Alabama's losing on their offense. I mentioned Clemson, obviously losing Trevor Lawrence, a generational talent. They're going to be in a situation in which it's a huge transition year. Ohio State going into the year, not a single person in that quarterback room had a single college football snap. Uh, So I, I think this is a huge opportunity for Oklahoma to really stand out amongst the pack. Hey, hey. And I'm, it might be a spoiler word here, but I'm picking Oklahoma to be also be my, my national champion this year. Really?
1: Wow. No, I, I think for all those reasons, like you may have a very compelling case because Oklahoma could come on, really shake things up. I think that's a very hot take. I, I think it's well-founded, though. I really do. Lincoln Riley has done, I would even consider Lincoln Riley's tailor-made kind of quarterback deal. He's done it with Baker, did it with Kyler. So if everything follows suit, and Spencer Rattler's kind of the same quarterback, like a certain degree. So I, I think that that'd be a very, very logical take, too. You know, I see why the Ozmakers definitely made that choice. But we'll see. You know, college football is one of those difficult, difficult beast to predict. And that's kind of the cool part about it because it's like almost any given Saturday. There's nothing like college football. I'll tell you that for sure. Are you more of a college football fan or a pro football fan? College, no question. My thing in the NFL is I don't really have a team in the NFL. I kind of go based off of a game by game. And a lot of the times my choices for who I want to win is based off of which friend of mine plays for that team. So if like the Dolphins are playing... The Saints, and I, I like the Saints, but one of my buddies is uh, who I played with at SC, named Austin Jackson. I was talking about him yesterday on one of these shows, one of the best people I've ever met. I'm not sure if you know the story, but his little sister had some like rare bone leukemia thing. I don't know what it was exactly, but he was her bone marrow transfer because it was an exact match. And I'll tell you what, like I said it before, and I'll say it again, first round player, but also a first round guy. And I have nothing but good things to say about Austin Jackson. But yeah, no, I, I choose games kind of game by game, but uh, yeah, no, it, I'm definitely more of a college person for sure. I, I really do like college ball more.
0: Curiously. I and mean, that makes me wonder who it has the highest continuity of USC players on their roster. There was a couple that would... went in the first round this year. Do You root for Sam Darnold. I, Did you get him? Yeah. No
1: Sam at all? I didn't get to know Sam. He was there for my what, last year. He was, what, 2018? He got drafted? Yeah. Yeah, so. He got okay. drafted in 2018. I was, I've been a USC fan my entire life. And that's part of the reason why I worked so damn hard to get to where I needed to go. And I will say that guys who get drafted or get signed by NFL teams I'm almost like willing to bet like I'm looking at my wallet right now I put down a hundred dollar bill on the table right now and bet oh, shit, I want to say I really want to say it's the Jets guys go to the Jets from SC like all the time Chuma went there my first year Sam Lies just got drafted by the Jets Toa got signed by the Jets not just in the last two three years that's four or five guys and I'm not totally sure but Jets are Seahawks and Pete Carroll is a Seahawks guy
0: That would certainly make the most sense if Pete Carroll was uh, taking the most. Let's see here. I think we might actually got this answer here. Over the last 10 years, which NFL team has drafted the most USC players? Scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah, that's the Jets. Let's see here. Four of 71. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you called it right there. Jets taking the most USC players. Now here's another controversial take. Are USC quarterbacks overrated? (laughs) Putting that on you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. USC quarterbacks are not overrated. That's one of those things that, like, I just know go to bad stuff. situations.
0: I mean, what would you put tribute to? Because we're talking about the most successful gonna, one at this point, maybe Carson Palmer.
1: You know, it's it's one of those deals where. think it's a tough one to compare like here's why i say it's a tough one actually because comparatively a lot of guys in the nfl there are very few guys who are a1 generational kind of people like brady or peyton manning or whoever but like one of the best guys to come out of usc obviously at quarterback was obviously carson i mean he obviously played for the angles for a long time great player you know but Matt Leiter one of the guys you expect a lot but he was a lefty and a lot of lefty quarterbacks don't stick around in the NFL for very long USC quarterbacks aren't overrated because like they put up stats at SC do I know if they make the transition to NFL some have but a lot of guys don't make the transition to the NFL you know a lot of guys are out with I think the average NFL career is like three years so I think a lot of SC quarterbacks have made it past that so I wouldn't say that they're overrated coming from somebody who's caught passes from guys who are uh in the NFL, shout out to Todd Durkin. He uh, plugged me and his son, Luke, actually. Last year, I was running routes, because I'm from San Diego originally, and then Drew Brees was in San Diego, so I started running routes with Chase Daniel, Drew Brees, who else, Tyrell Williams, and a bunch of other guys in the NFL, and I've caught passes from these guys in the NFL, too. So, like, coming from a guy who's caught, like, Passes against top level college, top level NFL, like it's just one of those things where you can't really. It's tough to predict because also you could say the same thing about Bama. Like Bama quarterbacks, do they translate? Now they do. They now they might. But the thing is, like AJ McCarron was also a first round pick. You'll see how it works because I know three guys: Mac Jones, Tua, and Jalen. All all of which were in the same quarterback room at one point. We'll see how that works out because the curse of the Bama QB is definitely a thing. I don't think QB is an SC or overrated, but we need to see one who just pops off again. Maybe that's, maybe that's Keaton. I want the best for Keaton. Maybe it's JT, you know, I don't know.
0: Let's think about this here. So NFL, top NFL quarterbacks in their colleges. So obviously Patrick Mahomes, Texas tech, Brady, Michigan. Is there really a quarterback you, I mean, Lamar Jackson, Louisville,
1: Josh Allen, Wyoming, no, seriously, that's it's no, that's exactly right. It's almost like it's tough to. I don't even know. I mean, because you can, can a, attribute. Aaron Rodgers, Cal, seen. you know, like it's, it's all, all over like the place him. for most part. Yeah, it's all over the fucking place, yeah. It really is all over the place. No, and then you get guys who are like the Carson, or who maybe if Keaton's that guy, you know, Southern Cal kid, because everyone expected Matt Barkley to be that guy from SC too. But
0: I think he's still in the league, so at least he's still holding on. Just like you Kobe mentioned, he's is, one of yeah. those guys that backups that just kind of oh Matt Barkley's on your
1: team. Oh, okay, I
0: remember. Remember him playing for USC back in
1: the day? Yeah, Matt Castle is one of those guys, too. Clay Helton, or one of my I coach, Clay Helton, for those who don't know who know who he is. But well, there was one time where he brought up in a meeting Matt Castle. He's been in the league for like 16 years. He went to USC and he was just a career journeyman, but he always, always made a roster. It was funny because it's just talking about tenacity and determination and resilience. It was really, it was really interesting I didn't know Matt Castle played for that long.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just brings me back to watching Blue Mountain State and one of the best jobs, apparently, being the backup quarterback. I missed that show before it got bad. And I really hate that that bad movie came out later on in its existence.
1: You know, I don't mean to interrupt, but I was so funny you bring this up because I was watching uh, Undisputed yesterday, and Shannon Sharpe says everyone loves the and ba- the backup QB until he has to go in. <laughs> everyone loves the backup QB until he has to go in. Next thing you know, he's throwing if he's throwing two picks, like get that fool out of there. So it- it- it's I think it's such a tentative at best situation. You obviously you had Caden come in once JT got hurt, and he was busted onto the scene. It ended up working out really well for him. But I think in the NFL, it's like between starter and second string, I think there's much more of a difference between that and college for sure.
0: Well, you know, everyone says that they want a guy that just could come in and play and be the starter if their starter goes down. But then it's also finding that right balance because you don't really want a guy that's an actual true bona fide starter because then that will cause egos to happen because the quarterback is such a sensitive position. I mean, how we talked about Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts kind of being at odds. Uh, We talked about what what team makes sense for Cam Newton. I know that was part of the Kaepernick debate as well. It's just one of those things where trying to find that balance, you don't want your backup quarterback to be a story in itself. I guess, you know, hey, a closing take here, does Cam Newton end up on a team?
1: Oh, shit, (laughs) I saw a video yesterday, or maybe this morning. It's like this quote did not age well. It was Cam Newton on how, on I Am Athlete. It's like that, yeah, that, that was thirty
0: two guys us right here. I know
1: what you're talking <laughs> about. We posted that. No, it was so funny, and I was thinking to myself, like who's who? Do they compare him to? Shit, I saw it this morning. Oh my gosh. It was a, a second-string guy or a scout team guy or something like that. Cam will make it onto a roster at some point. Do I think he'll ever be a starter again? Cam's not going to be Super Cam again. I don't think so. That's my take on that for sure. Because if you look at Cam, like he had that one really, really good year. I think that was the year that they went to the Super Bowl. But I don't think he's been as good since. I I had him in my fantasy quarterback the year after. He got me like two points, like three games in a row. <laughs> and it, it, it just did not work out well. And I don't play fantasy sports anymore, but at that point I was really into it. So Cam but, made uh, you
0: retire. I got gotcha. you.
1: <laughs> no, I grew up. I kind of, like, just moved on from it. But, like, that was not a favorable pick for sure. But I, I don't know if Cam will ever be, like, starting Cam again. But I know I think he'll make it onto a roster for sure. I think Cam's, like, could be a really good second string, you know, that would offer some dynamicism if their pocket pass or whoever, you know, a backup to Jalen Hurts or something like that could get theoretically be a interesting fit. He'll make it onto an NFL roster again. I'd be willing to bet on that if I were to be a betting man.
0: All right, Chris, tell us. Anything you're worth on anything that we should be following drop the social medias give those give us those shameless
1: plugs <laughs> so my instagram is at the chris paul D T H E C H R I S C A U L K. and right now i'm just kind of i have to keep everything super vague but i'm working with this really awesome like organization that we haven't announced anything publicly yet but very soon we will and it will be a really really awesome kind of I don't know how to say it. It's almost, It's. I'm su- super, super excited about it. We're all super, super excited about it. But keep track of me and you'll see what it is. And you're going to see it's going to be really one of those exciting things to talk about. And I'll gladly come back on the show down the road and give you a full expose on it. I just can't talk about it in entirely right now because I'm as close to an NDA as I can be.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, if you want to find out what happens on the next episode of Chris Talks Eve, be sure to follow him on all his social medias. Slumpbusters, if you want to see what happens next on the Slump Buster podcast, you got to hit that subscribe button, folks. It's, it's literally right there. Just go ahead and tap that. Be subscribed. Leave a five-star review for us if you're listening on Apple iTunes. Be sure to like, share this video, all that good stuff. And, of course, check out our partner, cavemancoffeeco.com. Come on, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and save yourself some money on your next purchase of delicious cold brew coffee from cavemancoffeeco.com. Chris, Juju, stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you.